Welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. And our conversation today is focused around the whole area of love and relationships. Enjoy the show. Now, Donald, as we talk about love and relationships, there's just something you want to uh, share with us at the beginning of this session. Yeah, I, just as we're going to go into it, I want to just make a, a little statement. I want to use, choose the words very carefully, so I'm going to read it and you'll understand why. Um, and just kind of give a, a context for what we're going to go on and do in a moment or two. So I'm just going to read something uh, about homosexuality. The issue of homosexuality within Christianity and our culture has become deeply divisive and is hurting many, many people. My own views and the views of the leadership of the church have been shared with those who come to our church on many occasions. And I'm happy to respond to emails from church members seeking a reminder. However, the overwhelming Jesus principles of grace, not judging, seeking unity amongst disciples, are lost in the extremes of debate that are currently existing. I do not believe God intends anyone to be defined or rejected by their sexuality or their views on sexuality. I'm profoundly aware of my own sin and I'm not willing to have my words taken and used as stones to be thrown at others. Therefore, I'm not going to be making statements about this area on the internet that can be taken out of context and used by one side or another. So I thought I'd say that there, and then we're going to talk about love, we're going to talk about relationships, but that's why we're not going to talk about homosexuality. If somebody wanted to have a conversation with you on a one-to-one -one about it, you're more than happy Absolutely. to do that. It's just that we, we want to ensure that your words are taken and not out of context and that people recognize your heart and our sense that God is a God of love and we don't want to in any way get on any side into throw stones. So we're looking at this whole area of love and relationships and I think it's an area that people look at Christianity and think you're outdated, you need to move with the times. People can be quite critical of us and at times Christianity has been quite critical of other people in this whole area. And before we get into our discussions, I think there's just a few things that I wanted to say at the beginning, a little bit like that, to underpin what we're talking about. And the first thing I think is really important for us to recognize is when we talk about love and relationships, we need to understand that God is a God of love. And that sometimes God sets boundaries for us because he loves us, because he doesn't want us to get hurt and to damage ourselves and to damage other people. And so sometimes it seems like Christianity can be legalistic and you can't do this. But actually it comes from a loving God who wants the best for our lives, for us to live life to the full. When we talk about love and relationships, I think we need to remember that it was actually God who created sex. Mm. So we're not talking about a killjoy who doesn't want us to enjoy ourselves and each other, but in the right context. So that's the first thing I would say. I think the second thing I would say is that in our culture today, we're encouraged to be in a relationship. We're encouraged to be expressing ourselves. There's this unsaid thing out there that you're not going to be happy, content or complete until you're expressing yourself sexually. And I think what I would like to say into that is that actually we're only ever going to find true contentment in a relationship with God. Having a relationship with somebody else is great and adds 
fantastic things to our lives, but it's not going to complete us. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the holy grail that will, will sort us out. Third thing I want to say is that God is a God of grace, that God forgives, that we all mess up in lots of different areas and that God is always there willing to forgive and to help us to start again. So if this is an area that maybe we've struggled with at the outset, we want to say just please come and know that God welcomes you and that actually he loves you and nothing that we've done cannot be forgiven. Final thing I want to say, and it goes back to your throwing stones thing, is that too often people have unhelpfully judged people in this area. I think this whole area of love and relationships and everything else has been something that people have put up here. Uh, and if you step out of line, then you're the worst person in the world. Uh, and what we want to say is that's, that's just not true. Mm. That, that actually, in God's eyes, all of the things that we do wrong are equal. Some have different consequences, but this isn't about judgment. This isn't about uh, throwing stones. But this is about saying, by the grace of God, we all go. So that underpins all of our discussions today. So let's start off with this whole area of love. Talk about love. What is love? I think love is fundamentally the most important quality and value and thing in the universe. I think God is defined as love. He's called, he describes himself as being love. I think it is the thing that underpins pins his entire creation and why he's given us freedom and why the world is is as it is and i think that our culture has lost an understanding of what love is mm. i think that essentially love is this feeling and decision and choice and experience of being valued mm -hmm. of being accepted of being cared for mm -hmm. of being wanted of being appreciated, of belonging, uh, and that it's very closely connected with security mm -hmm. and feeling safe and feeling protected, uh, being listened to, being uh, understood. So, so there's all of these kind of words. And I used to do, when I was a youth worker, I used to go into schools a lot and talk about love and relationships. And I would always ask the kids uh, to write on a piece of paper what they thought the most important quality of love is. And I did that probably over a period of 20 years. And in that time, I consistently would get about 75% of the kids would say the same, would write the same word. The other 25% you get a whole lot of other different words. But the one word that consistently came out would be the word trust. Mm -hmm. The most important value part aspect of love is to trust and feel safe. Mm. And that links into faithfulness. It mm. links into uh, being able to trust someone with our feelings, being able to trust someone with our, yes, with our body, but being able to trust someone with our hopes, with our doubts, with our fears, with our, our heart. And, and I think that's really revealing that love is fundamentally about feeling safe that we matter, mm -hmm. safe that we are appreciated, mm -hmm. significant, important. Now that can be uh, the love of real friends who we know are gonna be with us through thick and thin. That can be the love of uh, family, 
of a brother or a sister or a parent or a child. It can be the love of a partner. Those kinds of love vary, but what uh, the most important aspects of love are common to all of those relationships. And it is this sense of being safe, of being appreciated, of being valued. And uh, I think every human being has been created to be alive when we give love Mm -hmm. and to be alive when we are loved. And that is why the experiences of loss of love, whether that's violence or betrayal or loneliness or bereavement, uh, all of those experiences are the worst experiences that human beings go through. So we might have all the money in the world, but if we don't feel loved, it's pointless. Mm -hmm. Equally, we may be struggling with all kinds of uh, poverty issues, but if we feel the love of a family Mm -hmm. or the love of a friend, Mm -hmm. uh, then it makes those things livable. Mm -hmm. So love is the most important thing in the world, full stop. I don't think Mm -hmm. there's any question about that, which is why... Uh, Jesus says, you know, the most important thing, the command I give you is to love. And everything in the Bible can be summed up by love. The whole commandments, all the values Mm -hmm. and instructions Mm -hmm. of the Bible are simply explanations of how to love. And Mm -hmm. we need those explanations because our culture has confused lots of other things with love. Mm. So sometimes we've confused popularity Mm. with love and so people seek fame when Mm. actually it's not the same as being loved Mm. I think we've confused sex with love Mm. so talk about people talk about making love Mm. and actually sex is not something that makes love it expresses Mm. love Mm. but uh, sexual violence sexual abuse does not create love Mm. so there are lots of ways in which we are grappling to rediscover what love is. Mm. Whole generations who've experienced betrayal, unfaithfulness, abandonment in family life has meant that many of us have not really experienced or understood what the Bible intends when it talks about love. And mm. there's this glorious passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which I'd in advise anyone to go away and read at the end of this session. It just explains what love is, patient and kind, keeps no record of wrongs, always mm. trusts, or always believes. It's a, such a powerful statement mm. of what love, and it's what every human being needs. Mm. I think it's really interesting when you started talking about what love is, you said that it was a feeling, but also a decision and a choice. Mm. Now, that's interesting because for a lot of people, they think love is about a feeling. And when I don't feel that anymore, it's okay. I can move on. Quite a transient thing. But that's not what you're saying, is it? It's not solely based on our emotions. No, it's those things coming together that Mm -hmm. you choose. Because you love someone, you choose to continue to act lovingly, even though your feelings go up and down and there are times when you don't feel it. Mm -hmm. But it is... It, it, it doesn't, in our culture, yeah. and that's all I know, it isn't completely separated from feelings. So we start off that we feel something, but feelings kind of weave in and out, but love remains a consistent thing. 
So when you love someone, you choose to do the best for them, whether you feel like doing it or not, whether it's sometimes a sacrifice and sometimes that's the more loving is to continue to behave in a loving way Mm. even when you don't feel it. Mm. And uh, I think that's really, really important. And that if we dip in and out of friendships or we dip in and out of family relationships by what we're feeling that day, it's incredibly destructive. Mm -hmm. And what really matters is it leaves other people feeling unloved. Mm -hmm. Because we go back to that concept of trust. Mm -hmm. Love has to be dependable. It has to be Mm -hmm. stable. It has to be something that I can rely on. Mm -hmm. And if I think today I'm loved and tomorrow I'm not, that I'm not loved at all. Yeah. It's if I know that the people who say they love me, I can rely on that, it's dependable, then that's real love. And mm. therefore, from their point of view, the feelings will come and go, but the choice remains the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, so looking at this whole idea of being loved, there are many different ways we can be loved and we can express love, whether that's through a friendship, whether that's through family, or whether that's through a relationship. So let's take the whole relationship one. If you're not in a relationship, if you're not married, if you are single, does that mean that you miss out on being loved? Well, I think we have to answer that together because we we have different life situations. I'm married and you're not. And it's very difficult for me to to talk about what I don't currently experience. I think from the Bible's point of view, it's pretty clear to me that marriage is... I'm going to choose my words very carefully. I should have written down a statement. (laughs) (laughs) I think the Bible, the New Testament, suggests that marriage is a concession for the weakness of mankind and that those who don't need to get married, mm-hmm. that's a, a, a higher mm-hmm. calling. Jesus isn't married. And the way the New Testament talks about marriage, it's not, the New Testament does not see it as the ultimate achievement. It sees it as the ultimate achievement is to not need to be married, I think. So I'm married. Um, I've learned enough from life, I think, to know that from where I sit, married people are not happier than unmarried people. And that happiness is not caused by relationship. There are unhappy marriages and there are happy marriages. Mm -hmm. There are folks who are very happy being single and there are folks who are unhappy being single. And it's... Mm -hmm. It isn't that one thing fixes the other thing and just because a person is married, they're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's at all. I think they... I mean, you need to comment and, and bring your <laughs> perspective because it's... But there are plenty of times when, when, when one, somebody is married, you think, you know, if I wasn't married, it would be a bit easier because mm-hmm. there wouldn't be this responsibility, there wouldn't be this thing that I need to do. So there are swings and roundabouts. I think, I don't think one state, I don't think one state is better than the other, and I don't think one state is happier than the other. Mm. But I'm saying that from the position of being married. Mm. I think it goes back to where we think happiness comes from. 
And I think if we believe that happiness, true, deep contentment comes from God, then whatever the circumstances of our lives, um, it's not that it doesn't matter, but as long as we've got our foundations in that place, that's the most important thing. Mm. And we were talking in our last session about having a, a sense of this is me, this is my life, and I'm going to look at the good things and be grateful for that rather than looking at other people and being mm. envious and, and everything else. And so I think, I think singleness, there are, there are advantages to it and there are disadvantages to it. I think one of the issues with singleness is that particularly in a Western church culture, probably a worldwide church culture, being single isn't seen as the norm and that it can seem that church is a very couple, family orientated it can seem as though if you're married, you get leadership positions. If you're single, you know, there's, there's lots of different things that, that, that go on there. So I don't think that I'm diminished in being single. I personally have wanted to be married and have children. That's not happened. Could still happen. There could be some nice blind man that comes along. You know, you never know. But for me, I'm not living in hope and thinking oh, if only, then everything will change in my life. I think daily it's like, okay, God, we've got this day. What, what are we going to do with it? You know, how can you use me? I go into that believing this is your best life for me right now. And I trust that. I trust that you're not withholding anything from me. I trust that you're not judging me and that this is your punishment because I've messed up. I know many people that aren't married that think that. They question themselves and think, is God withholding this because I've done something wrong? I don't think that. I don't think God's like that. That's not my experience. I just think sometimes in life, we don't always get what we want. I think as well, I look at some marriages and I think, oh, I'm glad I'm not in that. You know, if I believe that marriage is for life and you've committed yourself to be with that person for life, oh, my life, I, I wouldn't want to be in that. And I think I would rather be single than having married the wrong person. I, from my experience, I would definitely underscore that. And you're not saying in your experience with your wife. No, you're saying, I'm, yes. no I'm saying that having <laughs> been involved with folks where marriage has gone seriously wrong, that pain is, is horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous. Yeah. So I don't think the grass is always greener. No. I think there are pros and cons to both. It uh, would be good to refer people back to last week and what yes. we talk, when we talked about the way God treats us differently. It's yes. a good talk to go and have a look at. Absolutely. But I don't think that we are diminished. I think, though, in certain situations, it can seem that those that are single are not the norm. You know, we have a church where we value everybody, that we don't just focus on families or marrieds or singles. Why do we do that? What do you see as the... the the blessings and the benefits of that? I think that God has created fundamentally us to live in community and that community is at its best when it's all ages and it's extended so that we all need uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and grandparents and, 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 and that life comes from all ages interacting. Mm -hmm. It's much harder as a church, I can have to tell you. It is much harder to lead a church that, that consciously strives to be not only intergenerational, but diverse in the type of people it, it wants to belong. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's really, we, we make it a real priority. It's not just a lip service, it's a real priority to us to try to fully welcome and engage families and fully welcome and engage those who are single, to fully welcome and engage young people and to fully welcome and engage elderly folks, to fully welcome and engage the bereaved and the divorced as much as those who are looking for partners. And it's, 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 it's tricky because sometimes we think we want to be with everybody who's like us. But actually, as I observe it, that there's a greater richness when you have relationships with people who are different to you. Mm -hmm. And so I know from my own uh, experience of family life that I think when you, when you are a parent, you, you realise your inadequacies and that children need lots of other people in their lives. And so we saw and have benefited from in the church life of them having grandparent-type figures mm -hmm. in the church, auntie and uncles who weren't really aunties and uncles, and, and people who came and, and were, were part of our life together. Uh, some might have been bereaved, some might have been single, some might have had children growing up somewhere else. It doesn't matter, mm -hmm. but actually that diversity of relationships of all kinds of different people enriches us. And, and one of the things that I think our culture is wrong on is I don't think a family is two children and two parents. I think that's a really negative. A family is 60 people mm. and, mm. and we're, we're all part of it. Mm. Uh, and that's what makes community and that's what we've got to strive to create as a church where we all feel part of this belonging. Mm. Whatever house we go home to, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it enriches us all, but it's not always easy. Mm -hmm. I think we try really hard as a church. And, and I think for me, so my family live down south. They don't live here in Birmingham with me. And I've been incredibly blessed by families in our church that have just welcomed me as, as one of their own, you know. And, and you feel you're part of the family. And there's something really special and, and precious about that it's it's a really lovely place to be in and i think as well we try really hard to recognize everybody so if i think of things like mother's day we recognize mother's day for some people is a day of joy that they have children they want to celebrate that for others they may be bereaved and have lost their mother so it's a difficult day for others they may not have children for some they may be trying and and they've not quite done that and so we try and take into account all of those different stages of life and we don't make it into a huge song and dance so that those that are struggling, it's in their face, but we maybe will pray about it and, and just gently recognise it's part of our community, but it's not the be-all and the end-all, mm. that there are lots of people in lots of different places. And I think that's one of the, the beauties and the strengths of our, of our community that somehow we are trying to hold this tension of lots of very, very different people. And sometimes we'll get it wrong and sometimes we'll get it right. But our desire is that we were created to be in this diverse community. Mm. And that's good and that's healthy. So if we narrow it down then, let's go back to relationships. The Bible talks about being faithful. It talks about being in monogamous relationships 
we live in a society where um, self-control isn't something that we talk a great deal about, that we're actually encouraged just to go and express ourselves. Why is the Bible so, so set on, okay, you've got to be faithful, you've got to have one, one person. You know, you're going to get bored. What if that doesn't work out? Why is, why is the Bible so keen on this whole idea of faithfulness? Because of this sense of us needing to feel secure. And I think that fundamentally the Bible, God's word is for us. That he wants what's best for us. And nobody wants to be in relationships where you think at any point somebody is going to choose to swap me mm -hmm. for a younger model, for a different colour person, for somebody that is better in one way or another than me. That, that, that kind of insecurity and dread and fear is deeply damaging mm -hmm. to individuals. Mm -hmm. That loyalty is such a precious commodity to know that I can make a mistake with this person and they're still going to love me. Yeah. I can make a mistake and they're still going to care for me. They're not going to reject me. They're not going to cease to be my friend or my partner. Mm. That's what we all need. And actually, when you have that foundation of loyalty, it gives you the freedom to, to, ex to grow and express as a human being. Our problem is that we have made sex a god. Mm -hmm. So we're defining happiness around sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that's, deep, that's really confusing and, and frankly not true. And there is a lots of evidence to say that we as a culture have allowed ourselves to be manipulated by people who make money out of magazines, clothes, pornography, films, mm -hmm. music, all of whom it's in their interests for us to believe this sort of, I want to call it fairy tale, but it's not a fairy tale, this myth mm -hmm. that sexual experience equals happiness equals love. Mm -hmm. God has created us with certain human desires. Mm -hmm. There is the desire for self-preservation, and that's important. There is the desire to eat, and that's important. And there is the desire to have children, to procreate. Mm -hmm. Those are really important and they're beautiful and foundational principles. Mm -hmm. But the desire for self-preservation, if it's not controlled and managed, becomes selfishness, mm -hmm. where we trample over anybody else. And by trampling over everybody else, we actually damage ourselves because we don't have loving relationships. Mm -hmm. The desire to eat is good. But if we eat everything in sight, we become unhealthy, we risk ourselves a health, and we die younger. Mm. So with those two appetites, we understand that self-control makes them more precious. Mm. Sexual desire is the same. That the desire to have sex with someone we love is a good thing for a season in a person's life. Mm but uncontrolled and separated from love, it dehumanizes a person. Mm. And one of the things that's most painful for human beings is to have felt used, mm. is to have felt that somebody has taken from them an experience simply for their own benefit and does, cares nothing for what's really going on inside a person. Mm. And although we think 
we want to be loved for our appearance or even our sexiness. Mm -mm. Actually, human beings don't want to be loved for our appearance. We actually want someone who loves us when we're not wearing makeup, mm. who loves us when we're not feeling sexy, mm. who loves us enough to say, we don't need to have sex, mm. or loves us enough to say, I'm going to wait mm. until I'm committed enough to you for life. Mm. And actually, all of that brings a value and a dignity to the person that helps the sense of security and trust. Mm. So if... I define myself as a sexual being and I need sex, then I can trample over other people to get it. Mm. But I'm not defined by that. I'm defined as a person that loves. Mm. And to love someone means that you respect and care for them for who they are, not for what they do for you. Mm -hmm. And that changes the whole mm. perspective and dynamic. Mm. And that's why faithfulness is utterly crucial. Mm. And nobody likes someone to be unfaithful to them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get so damaged by unfaithfulness that something's died with inside that we say, oh, it doesn't matter anymore because it hurts too much to say it does. Mm. But the bottom line is human beings need security we need someone to say I'm going to love you in the words of 60, you know when you're 64 in the words of the Beatles I'm going to love you mm. and, and that we say that to our parents we say that to our children we say that to our best friends mm. we say that to our partners we say that to all the people that we're in relationship with mm. I'm here for the duration. Even if you mess up, I'm going to love you. Mm. Even if you become old and wrinkly, I'm going to love you. Mm. That's what human beings need. Mm. We need that faithfulness. So in a relationship then, can you just say, I'm committed, I'm in this for the long haul, I love you for you, and not get married? What, what's the importance of putting a ring on it? I think words are very easy. Mm -hmm. I can say... I love you. Men find it very easy to say I love you, particularly if they're aroused. Mm -hmm. I love doing weddings. Mm -hmm. There are two essential promises that, that is a part of the marriage vows. The first promise is that I will love you in sickness and health, rich or poor, till death us do part. So the mm -hmm. first promise is I am committed to you mm -hmm. irrespective of what you do for me and how you look mm. and I'm just committed to you. Yeah. That's a definition of love. So when people say, I want to just check you out a bit for a few years before we get married, I'm saying, I would say bottom line is you haven't yet found love. Mm. You're exploring it. And, that, and courtship is great and that's mm -hmm. fine, but you haven't, until you know that you want to spend the rest of your life, and we talked about choice over feelings, until you make that decision, you don't really love a person. Mm -hmm. If you are saying, I love you until I don't, mm -hmm. you don't love them. Yeah. If you're saying, I love you for a period to see if it's working out, you don't yet love them. And that's okay to say you don't yet love mm -hmm. them, but don't sleep with them and, and mm. use their body mm. because that's a damaging thing to do to a person. Yeah. 
if it were to break up. So that's the first thing, is you're promising to say till death is depart. The second thing that said in a marriage vow is all that I have is yours. And that's backed up by that thing that we do, the legal thing. Yeah. In other words, I'm saying here's my house, here's my mm. CD collection, or here's my car, it's now yours legally. Mm. And I encounter couples who will say, I'm not yet ready to do that because I'm not certain that this is going to work out, so I don't want to lose the deeds to my house. And I say, that's absolutely understandable, Mm. but you don't yet love a person because you're not able to trust them with all that you have. And so in in courtship, engagement, whatever it is, is an important part of the process of working out, do I trust this person enough to let them have my CD collection Mm. and such that if we break up, they're going to have half of it. Mm. And if we don't feel we can make that promise, we haven't yet loved them. Mm because we're not totally safe. Mm -hmm. So I would say that if we feel that we love someone but we don't want to get married, we've not yet worked it out. Uh, This is me being harsh and blunt. This is the old youth worker bit in me (laughs) coming out. But frankly, I get other people say, well, I do love them. I just, we haven't yet saved for the £10,000 marriage service and the reception and all that stuff. What about 20 grand? 20 grand. I would say, how can I put this politely? Just do it. Just get married. I can do it for 50 quid. Yeah. And you can be happy. Yeah. And you can have a party and a celebration to celebrate your 10th anniversary when you've saved your 10, 20 grand for the Mm. whatever hall it is. If you love someone, prove it. You don't prove it by sleeping with them. Mm. And you certainly don't prove it by saying yes to sleeping with them when you're not really sure whether you do. Mm. You prove it by saying, in front of other people, mm. I'm committed to you and I mean this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And here's my car and my house <laughs> and everything. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how much money, and whether you're going to have to live in one bedroom flat and scrimp and save doesn't matter do it Mm. if you love each other make that commitment because the relationship is more important Mm. than the party Mm. so you make the commitment till death us do part what about if it doesn't work out are there grounds for separation divorce what does the bible say about that I think the Bible's clear. Other Christians take a different point of view, but I think the Bible is clear that God does not want people to get divorced because it's deeply painful. But it is sometimes the lesser of two evils and that Jesus and the Bible, Moses, allow for divorce in a broken and sinful world. Mm. The when the relationship is becoming damaging, that it is better that, that, relate, that people separate than... Mm than damage each other, mm-hmm. whether physically or emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that the Bible is, we talked about what you introduced us with, is full of grace, it's full of God, continually saying, here's the opportunity for a new start, a new mm-hmm. place to begin. Mm-hmm. And there are times when we get ourselves in a mess that God says, okay, well, well let's start again. And, and so one of our ministries as a church is to partner with Divorce Recovery and to really help people rebuild their lives. 
And, and I think that's really a, a, a key value for us as a church, that wherever we've got to mm. and we come to God and say, Lord, help me, he says, okay, mm. let's start again. So we don't ever uh, want people to get divorced, but we do support people who've been divorced and there are times when I will walk through divorce with people because it is better than the destruction that is going on in, in, a, in a family through not getting divorced. And that's a tragic thing. Nobody ever wants to be divorced. It's painful. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the dashing of hope. It's a, the dashing of, of all kinds of things. But I don't believe God says rejects a person mm -hmm. or gives up on a person at that mm -hmm. place. That's just another place of rebuilding. And mm -hmm. all of us have places where we get to the end of stuff and we say, Lord, I'm broken. Will you mm -hmm. rebuild me? And so if a person has been through divorce, can they, if they want to, marry somebody else? So our understanding is that divorce is the end of a relationship and it creates us being back to being single. So as a church, we uh, do remarry people and we consider that as a fresh start and whatever. The only thing I would say is that we don't support or encourage people to get divorced in order to marry, in other words, to legitimise adultery, legitimise yeah. an affair. So if uh, a person is breaking their marriage vows and committing adultery, we think that that, re that that needs to be worked through rather than instantly into another marriage. There needs to be a sense of understanding what's gone wrong, of repentance, of restoration. Um, so we do remarry people, but we don't remarry people quickly where that relationship was the cause of the marriage breakdown. We would say, hang on, we're going to step back from this. And Brilliant. So we're going to move towards summing up. So we're talking about love and our need to be loved by God, to experience that love and know who we are in him, but also that we're created to be in community, that we need to love and to be loved by other people, whether that's friends, family, married relationship, children, whatever it might be. What are your top tips for developing and cultivating that love in those relationships? My top tips are consider love as a choice. Don't think of one person. Think of a number of people who you choose to love. Some will be people you're related to. Mm -hmm. Some will be just friends. Mm -hmm. But choose a number of people and be committed. You can't be committed to 100 people, but seven, eight, nine, whatever it is. And you do that in feeling and out of feeling. You want the best for them. You stand by them. You listen. If There are times when you speak the truth to them that they may not always find easy to hear, but because you're going to stay in relationship. So the key values are, are that you, you choose it, that you are patient, that you are forgiving, mm -hmm. that you encourage that you build people, mm -hmm. that you value, mm -hmm. that you look after, mm -hmm. that you care, and nurture these practices in more than just one person, mm -hmm. but that in a number of people, 
that you say, these are the people that God has put in my life to care for. And to be able to say, I know who God has particularly asked me to care for. So what if you don't know? What if you're listening to this and thinking, I'm feeling quite isolated. I'm not really feeling as though I'm being loved or loving other people. Or maybe, yeah, I love my husband, my wife, my family, but that's it. How do you identify these people? I think there are different stages in our life. So I think if we're younger, I think we begin to look at who is in our life. So that might be, you know, what family do we have? Mm. And that may be very difficult and painful relationships. So to love our family might be not an easy thing. It doesn't necessarily mean we agree with them or endorse them. Mm. But we, how you honour a parent that is difficult is a big question. but I think as we get older in life and maybe we experience bereavement, so we've no longer got the same relationships that we used to have, I think asking God to just show us who's around in our lives. And maybe there's a time in our life when it is seven or eight or nine, and there's a time in our life when it's just a couple of people. Mm. But I think it's offering ourselves to God and saying, I believe you created me to love. Mm. And I believe that that needs expression. Mm. I think that joining church, joining other places to meet people and be committed to people, sometimes it's good to have activities of like mind. So we may have been bereaved, it may be good to join a group of other bereaved people and really commit in to other people who've gone through that life experience or other young mums or other people who've been divorced or, so, or, or to join a house group and really commit in to the people of all kinds of backgrounds or mm. maybe to commit to serve in an area of church life and say, I'm going you know, to commit to our young people's work and support and nurture mm. young people. Um, or I'm going to commit to our work with seniors, our older folks, and I'm going to commit to these people. So I think there are, if there aren't naturally people who we can see in our lives, there are ways of volunteering, of placing ourselves in a position where we begin to say, I'm going to identify people who mm. I can care for. Mm. What do we do if we have been hurt and damaged in this area? How do we begin to move on and trust again? Give ourselves time. Mm-hmm. Don't blame ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think trust is takes time, mm-hmm. and you can't. It, it's it's very connected to forgiveness, and we did a whole session on forgiveness. And the, the deeper the wound, the longer the natural process of healing is. Um, and to accept that, them, that things may never be quite the same. Mm-hmm. There will always perhaps be a wariness. Or a, but to ask God to gently repair the, the cut so that it becomes a scar rather than something that's continually bleeding. Mm-hmm. And, and so we come to God and we say, look, this is where I've been hurt. This is mm-hmm. where I've been damaged. This is the loss I've experienced. This is the, the breakdown I've experienced. To be honest about that, to give ourselves permission for that to be a process, to spend, to see if there are others who've had similar experiences who can walk, we can walk alongside a little bit. 
Mm. Um, I think uh, that we balance learning good things with ex recognizing that we've also been damaged. Mm -mm. So everything bad that happens to me in some ways has damaged me and I, I, I acknowledge that and say I've been damaged, but it's also something that God can redeem and in some way use for good. So that all of us are slightly damaged by life and slightly the richer because of the way life has damaged us. And so it's beginning to cooperate with the restoration of God. So I don't think God ever purposes damage, but I do believe he promises to bring good out of it. Mm. Not that it's worth it, but that he brings mm. some good. So it's beginning to partner with God and say, God, how can I, how can this bad thing be used now? Mm. My final question. Uh, if you are someone that feels actually this is an area that I've, made mistakes in maybe I've not lived as God would want me to have lived I've done things whatever that might be what would you say to those people the, the, the glorious good news of Jesus he's died on a cross to redeem and to restore and all we need fundamentally is to be honest with him and say Lord have mercy Lord I'm sorry mm -hmm. so the first thing is to come to God and to acknowledge our sin and our mistakes and and, mm -hmm. and I think a very helpful thing is to take communion and yep. just to, to allow God's forgiveness and allow him to take away our shame. Mm. It may be that moving on from that in time, there are things that it would be right to, to, to address. Maybe letters to write, people to apologise to relationships to try and put back onto a more healthy footing that maybe can't be the same as they were, mm. probably can't be the same as they were, but to allow God to, to, to again, redeem stuff. Yeah. So that I think, firstly, coming to God, out of that, there may be some steps that we can take over time. Brilliant. Is there anything else you want to add into the mix as we draw this to a close? Just to encourage everyone mm. to, to value loving other people mm. and not to see life as who's loving me, mm. but to see life as who can I love. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you ever so much for joining with us again in this session. We hope you found it helpful. If there's anything that you'd like to come back to us and talk to us about, then do email us qol at scbc.org.uk. We'd love to carry on the conversation. Uh, if there's uh, something that we can help with, then we are here. But thank you for watching. Uh, just a reminder that this Sunday we have three live streams, 8.30, 10.30, 6.30. If you want to join with us, just go along to our YouTube channel and we will see you there. But for now, we'll say cheerio. Good night. Thank you. Bye-bye.